idea that even the speaking of it draws his vileness down upon the speaker as surely as iron is drawn to lodestone. Oh, Saddle, chided Laurelin. Now tis my turn to say law, for what could he want with women and children, or the oldsters and the lame? Oh, I don't know, my lady, answered Saddle, her matronly features apprehensive, glancing over her shoulder as if someone may have been creeping up from behind. Yet mine own eyes have seen the lodestone reach out with an invisible hand to snatch the iron, and so I know that it is true. Thuswise there's no reason to believe that the other isn't just as true, too. Oh, Cyril, responded Laurelin, just because the one is so, it doesn't mean that the other follows. Maybe not, my lady, answered Cyril after a bit. But just the same. I would not tempt him. They spoke no more of it. But Cyril's words seemed to hang like a silent echo in the thoughts of Laurelin the rest of the day. Just at sunset, camp was made some twenty-two miles south of Mont Chalerain. Although the train had paused several times along the way to tend the horses and stretch the legs and see to other needs, Still, it was not the same as being out of the wagons and encamped for the night. And now that the train had stopped for the eventide, Laurelin walked the full length of the caravan and back, some two miles in all, speaking to oldsters and young alike, buoying up spirits, and she passed Prince Igon doing the same. When at last the princess returned to the fire by her wagon, Cyril, had prepared a stew over the small blaze. Wounded Haddon sat on a log near the warmth, eating, his arm in a sling but his appetite ravenous, though his features were pale and drawn. Ah, my lady, he said, startled by the princess's sudden appearance from the darkness, struggling to gain his feet, but Laurelin bade him to sit. And now, warrior Haddon, said the princess, taking up a bowl of stew and a cup of tea, and seating herself beside the soldier. Speak to me of my lord Galen, for I would hear of him. And long into the night, Haddon told of the forays, skirmishes, and scouting missions that Galen's one hundred carried forth in the bitter winter night to the north. And as the warrior spoke, Lord Igon came to the fire to take a meal, and so too did Captain Jeriel ever present at the side of the prince. Igon's eyes sparkled in the firelight as he heard tell of the probing in the dim and dark to find Maldro's hoard. Along the Argent hills we rode, and to the Riga mountains, said Haddon, his eyes lost in memory. But not did we find. Maldro's murk hid all. North we turned, toward the Boreal Sea. And at last our search bore fruit, though bitter it was, for a vast hoard we found. And it moved south along that dire range, coming down the western margins of the Riga, from dark clefts and deep holts within these grim crags they came swarming, and their ranks swelled as they marched. Volgs were with them, running their flanks and we could not raid, for those dark beasts would sense us from afar, and give the enemy warning ere we could close with the spawn. King Arion named them aright, 
Maudru's curs. It unpaused as Seril, whose eyes were wide from listening to the tale, refilled the warrior's teacup. Messengers were sent to Shalorain, continued Hedon, to tell the king of the horde. None arrived, said Igon grimly, shaking his head. Then they were cut down, ere they could do so, my prince, responded Hedon and he held forth his sling-bound arm. As the Vogs slew Boadur, and nearly me, they must have hauled down those sent to carry word to the keep. Prince Igon tells me you spoke of Gola, said Captain Jeriel. Aye, answered the warrior, eyes deep in craggy face lost in reflection. Gola there are, and upon Hedelsteed.